0: We just finished uh, the book of Ecclesiastes on our Sunday mornings in a series we called Upside Down. I want to encourage you, if you weren't here or you missed any of those weeks, you can go onto our app or onto the YouTube channel and you can watch that series It was, I think for many of us, maybe you would agree with me if you were here, it was a really life-changing time in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because we read Ecclesiastes, and we think, what could we get out of that? It's such a depressing book. But boy, so much grace, so much love, so much joy. It was a real blessing to be a part of that. And I thought um, before we begin something uh, fresh, we're gonna begin something fresh in the new year, we're gonna take the next weeks, so we're getting so close to Christmas, and we're gonna do a series that I'm calling Christmas Connections. Christmas Connections. And in fact, here's the thing, um, when, I, when we were talking about it, I, like imagine if you would like a giant like painting or mosaic or portrait, some, some giant portrait that it's almost like each piece, each story could be put up and, it, and, it, and when it all comes together, it shows this, this beautiful thing. You seen something like that before? And, and imagine this, that the, the Bible tells this story that just little piece by piece by piece that tells this beautiful story of what we call the first coming of Jesus or what we mainly know it by, Christmas. And so just, I want you to, for the next six weeks as we get towards Christmas, I want you to think about that mosaic or that picture, just a big picture where each piece alone says something beautiful, but when all put together, it's just so powerful, this, this beauty of the first coming of Jesus. When I first suggested the name among our little team of Christmas Connections, Somebody made the remark they said it sounds like a dating service for elves or something like that, you know (laughs) It's like a dating service, so I decided I'm gonna do a pickup line for Christmas Let's do the first pickup line Christmas pickup line number one. I'll do one every week for you You ready go for it Call me Rudolph because you just slayed me (laughs) You get it It's amazing For six weeks put the next one up here for six weeks. We are going to look at this today. We're going to talk about thanks giving. Next week, and I'm really excited about this, we're going to look at the prophecy that points to Jesus. You're going to see how that the Bible tells a story before it ever happened and then it happened, exactly the way God said it was going to happen. It's unbelievable. We're going to talk about a genealogy of grace. We're going to look at jesus's grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great and so on and so forth we're gonna do you like what i did with the next one mary christmas did you see that yeah okay i'm full of these terrible ideas today okay uh but we're going to talk about mary mary is an integral part of the christmas story and we're going to look at her life and how it relates to you and to me and then we're gonna talk about the Christmas family. And what that means is this. There's a verse in the scriptures that Jesus spoke and he said, if I am lifted up, and he was speaking of the cross, I will draw all people to myself. And that began in a manger. And you're gonna see that and we're gonna look at the Christmas family. And then finally, I did one more pun, wrapping it up. You see that what I did there again, okay. And we're gonna talk about the end of the year and get excited for what God's gonna do in the year forward. But today, we wanna to talk about thanks giving. And I separated that idea of not just one word, thanksgiving, but thanksgiving. And I'm going to ask kind of these two questions. What does thanksgiving look like as Christians? Not the holiday, but the idea. And then secondly, what is the role of giving in the life of God's people? And you might say, oh my gosh, I came to church and he's going to talk about giving. And uh, for, for context, I've never talked about that here at the church. And we're going to continue to talk about Jesus, but we're going to look at this this story here in Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to learn about thanksgiving. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. And Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Verse 11, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. One of the most famous Christmas stories, we sing songs about it, and it's a fascinating story, and I'm not going to kind of, you know, dig deep into every single element of this, but... You know, one of the things that kind of fascinates me is here they come before Herod, the king of that area. They come to him and they say, listen, where's the king? You know, and he plays it smooth. Oh, I don't know. Where is he supposed to be born? And his scholars, they knew where the Messiah would come from, Bethlehem of Judea. And then Herod says, listen, you guys go your way and when you find the child, come back and let me know. I was, I've thought about this for so many years, why didn't he just like follow them? Why didn't he just like send some spies to follow? He could have, why didn't he? And I think, there's, uh, I think there's something you need to remember, he really didn't believe it. If he really believed that a Messiah was born in Bethlehem of Judea, it would have, and he was afraid of his own power being you know, uh, diminished, then he would have gone, like, hey, you two, follow. Follow at a distance, but follow, and get word back to me. Why didn't he do that? Because he didn't really believe. Hey, if it's, if it's possible, it's true, cool, go, go. Um, you guys go, and if, if there's a Messiah, you know, come and let me know. But I don't really believe it, and, and that's a tragedy of uh, the book of Matthew. It goes on and on like that about Herod and his lack of faith in the Messiah. But these wise men are pretty amazing people. And there's some myths that have been attached to these people. Um, We sing them, we talk about them. And probably most of you already knew this, but just to kind of remind us that some of these things are not, you know, it's not real, it's not true. So I put together a little list of things that maybe aren't so certain about the wise men. The first one is this, we three kings. We three kings. We sing that song, right, we three kings. We don't. Some people sing that song, We Three Kings. I don't. I've never sang that song. It's a pretty song. I like to listen to it on the radio. They weren't kings, though. Did you know that? They weren't kings. They weren't kings. Number two, three wise men. We don't know how many. There could have been 50 wise men. There could have been 10 wise men. Why do we believe it's three? Three. Anybody know why it's three? The three gifts, right? Yeah, the three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we just put together it's three wise men, which is really cool. I think it was really fun. Here's one of my favorite um, ideas, is that this was their names. Balthazar, Melchior, and the friendly ghost. (laughs) So there was a myth that grew up in about the 800s that this was the name of these guys. Is it true? We have no way of ever knowing that. 800 years later, these guys, were, this is the name given to them. So when you get to heaven and one of the guys is like, my name is Jeff, and you're like, I never knew Jeff as a wise man. He's like, no, I was there, man. I was Casper. I was Casper. So we have no idea, but it's kind of a myth. And then the last one is that they followed a star. Now, listen, it says that in the east, they followed the star, okay? What does it mean? The first time that it mentions this, It's not speaking of navigation. It's speaking of astrology. They read the stars. They read the stars. Now, then they get to Jerusalem, okay? They get to Jerusalem and they go to Herod and they say, Herod, where's the king? And he says, I don't really know. And they said, his scholar said, in Bethlehem. And then we read that they were led by a star. So the first time when they left whatever country they were living in, they followed the star doesn't mean navigation. It means they read the stars, and it led them in the direction that they were going. And so there's a lot of different details about this story that's so interesting. It's a fascinating kind of a event that these people from the Far East would come all the way into Israel, and they would look for this one baby that was born who they believed to be the king. And I thought a powerful story to talk about on Thanksgiving. And I want to look at three aspects of these men's lives that are worth you and me following. Three areas of their lives as it relates to their Thanksgiving that you and I should follow after. These three are this number one, they believed the promises of a coming Messiah. Number two, they gave their time to seek out the coming Messiah. And number three, they gave of their resources to the Messiah. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about these three points and then, of course, make it where we leave with the idea of like how I want to put these into practice in my life. These are not just stories that you and I are to learn and go, oh, yeah, that's neat. But the Bible is meant to be understood and applied. Understood and applied. And the first thing that I think is so important in the story of the wise men is this they believed in the promises of God. In fact, I gotta say, these people might have believed in the promises of God more than just about anybody in the entire Bible. These guys read the stars, whatever that exactly means. And they followed, and I mean, they they went from a long distance to go meet the king of the Jews, the Messiah. They realized this. I mean, just think about it. They're they're in their homes. They, they, They have this real sense that they've read things correctly. They believe that the Messiah of the world has been born. And so what do they do? They come together and they say, listen, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. If it's true, we should go find out. God bless you. If a Messiah, any of you ever gone to a concert tour because they said it was the last concert they're ever gonna have, huh? You're like, oh man, it's my last chance to see. My dad really loved the Eagles. If you don't know who that is, you're okay. Oh, I know. And he was so excited when they were doing one last tour called When Hell Freezes Over. (laughs) Any of you ever been to a concert? Any of you ever been to think, oh, it's the last chance I'm ever going to get to see it? I went and saw a Clippers game because Michael Jordan, it was his last time that I thought. And then he went to another team. It's a long story. Okay. Do You know what I'm talking about? If you had one chance, would you take it? Think about this one chance. Maybe the Messiah has been born. Is it worth it to go and find out? And they believed in the promises of God. It was worth the journey. But let me ask you this question. What could have kept them from this kind of a journey? And let me suggest a few things that I think keep us from believing the promises of God today. Fear. Doubt and arrogance. In fact, let me suggest to you, that's exactly why Herod didn't follow them, because of fear, doubt, and arrogance. He felt his position was secure, I'm fine. And even if it is true, we know in other events in the the book of Matthew and in in the New Testament, we know that Herod would go after the Messiah. He would seek to kill all of the young babies two and under in that area. He was cruel, he was violent because he believed it's possible there was a Messiah, better to wipe out all those babies than to take the risk. But fear today is keeping so many, and listen, I don't wanna talk about others, we're here together, fear is keeping us from believing in the promises of God. What if I'm wrong? What if I misunderstood? What if I'm embarrassed? What if other people embarrass me or shame me? I'm trying to follow God, but what if, what, if, what if I'm wrong? And then doubt creeps in. I don't know, it's dangerous, it's risky. I know I'm talking mainly to Christians here in the room. Maybe you're not, and that's, we're glad you're here. But let me just kind of take it to a, as real as I possibly can. Do we really believe the Bible or just the parts that are convenient for you and me? And you don't need to answer it right now and you don't need to you know don't think about somebody nearby. Oh man, they needed to hear that. Just for you and me. I mean the worst thing we could do at church is be like, "Oh man, I hope my wife heard that right now." <laughs> hope my kids hear that. The best thing we could ever do is say, "I need to I need to ask myself that question. Do I really believe the Bible? Do I really believe?" And listen, we're going to look next week and you're going to see prophecy speaks about the coming Messiah over and over and over in the Bible, God predicted the future, and then it happened. Can I just tell you that, if I'm, I'm, and I've said this to you before, if I could predict your future, if I told you between now and next week, five things that would happen to you, and all five of them came true, you would be here 30 minutes early in the front. You would never miss another church service. Why? If I got, if, I, if I somehow I guessed five things, you know there's over 300 times in the Old Testament that God speaks about his coming Messiah and all of them came true. All of them. You can trust God, that I know 100%. I know that for my life, I know that for your life, but here's the real question. Will I trust God? That's a question I have to ask myself and answer myself every day, and so do you. Do I believe the Bible or just the parts that are convenient for me? It hurts to hear that. It hurts to even say that. And that's something we want to really talk about in our Wednesday nights in January. We want to really talk about that work of God in our lives. The the most dangerous thing for a Bible teaching church is the following. That you get information in your head, but it never translates into your life. That's got to be the most dangerous thing in a Bible teaching church. I've been teaching the Bible for so long. I should be a better Christian than I am. And you should be better Christians, probably. Definitely, but I didn't want to hurt you, you know. No. Right, I mean, we're, 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 we're Bible people, right? We believe in the Bible. And I'm not condemning or putting anybody down. I'm just stating a fact. I know more in my head than I'm actually living out. And God would want me to begin 2020. I want you to turn that around from 2020 to 2020. Vision, clarity. God wants you and I to have 2020. Not just what you know, but that we would really put that into practice in our lives. It's something that they're really considering today in the business world. It's a big, big subject among uh, leadership speakers and uh, and within within administrative, uh, you, you hear this a lot, There's people that have a great IQ, but a very low EQ. (laughs) Siri doesn't agree with me. (laughs) Siri's like, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Okay. IQ, intellect. EQ, emotional stability. Have you ever met really smart, freaked out people? Like really smart, but socially awkward people? If you are, you're like, no, never met one. <laughs> never met one, right? <laughs> Friends, the reality is this. We know a lot more than we're able to process and put into our lives, quite often. And God is not just trying to save our intellect, but he wants to also work in every part of our lives. My emotions, how I process my past, how I understand my present, how I see my future. Sometimes intellect alone doesn't resolve those things, does it? I know a lot of people who have just an amazing emotional stability. They may not be the smartest person in the room, but oh my goodness, are they so balanced. Could I say it like this? God wants to create balanced believers, balanced Christians. It's a wise person who believes the word of God not just in their mind, but by putting it into practice. The wise men in our story believed the promises of God enough to do something about it. If the Messiah was born, we have got to see this for ourselves. We don't wanna miss this. This is a life-changing moment. If you know that God wants you to be kind, then be kind. If you know that God wants you to be holy, then be holy. Oh, I just can't do it, exactly. If there's a lesson you and I should take away from the Bible, it's this. Without God's Spirit, I can do nothing. I can know things, but I can't actually do them unless I will let God be the one to help me to do them. I wanna be a better husband. Intellectually, I know that to be true. Even emotionally, I want that to be true. But I need God, and you need God, to make that a reality. If I seek to do that of my own strength, I'll do good for like 30 minutes, maybe a little longer, it depends on the day. If I seek to be, you know, I'm gonna be Christian, it becomes incredibly, incredibly difficult when I seek to do that with my own strength. God never intended you to live a Christian life in your own power. God did not save you for eternity and then expect you to use a 30, you know, let, let's say an 80 year battery to push you through eternity. Your life is not enough for the eternal things God wants to accomplish. You've been given a broken battery. You need to be powered by the Holy Spirit if you and I are going to truly live out what we know to be true. The second thing I want you to consider, so this Thanksgiving, Commit yourself to something. I am going to put into action the word of God in my life. Now, let me tell you one of the most important areas where you can do this in, your repentance, my repentance, because I will discover the moment I try to be intentional about living out what I believe to be true, I'm gonna discover my failings. That's also a part of what the Bible says. It's okay. You are not, listen, I know you know this to be true, but it's so good to hear it sometimes. You're not perfect. (laughs) You weren't expected to be. The one thing that the Bible tells us we were expected to be was sinners. We did it. (laughs) Yeah. Now the Bible never said be, be perfect. The Bible says be holy. You need to be perfect. You can't be perfect, but what you can be is humble enough to say, God help me. God help me. God help me that 2020 would be a year that I would let you into more of my life. I'm gonna believe you and I'm gonna let it be actionable in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit and my humility. It's my humility and God's power. That combination, that combination has changed the world. People that were humble enough to say, I can't do it, but I'm going to trust God. The second thing that I want you to consider for Thanksgiving is this. They gave their time to Jesus. Now, some of you are already thinking, oh no, here's where he beats me over the head. I need to give more time to God. Not going to beat anybody over the head. Not interested in beating anybody over the head. Look, I couldn't beat anybody. Look at me, okay? I'm not beating anyone. I'm not going to make you feel bad. This is not the idea. Never, never. I hope you never walk away with that mindset. But these people literally walked from wherever they lived, probably took a camel too, from where they were all the way to Bethlehem. They gave up their time. And I read a story like this, I read Matthew 2, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I read it in about three minutes, what took them months and months of time. And I read that, and I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I read Bible stories and and I read about that, and, and the Lord's like, hey... Give me more of your time. And I'm like, Lord, you know, they had it so much easier back then. And I don't know why I think that. You know, we'll say things like, oh, they didn't have to, you know, work like we do. Are you kidding me? They, yes, they did. We, I kind of get this idea that like life was, I don't know, it was maybe more primitive, but it made sense why they did that now and why I can't do that today. The Reality is, is that's just an excuse. The truth of the matter is that we've all been given the same amount of time. I don't want to beat you over the head and say, you need to give more time to God. Here's what I want you to consider this Thanksgiving. Is that we are stewards of our time. That's really where it's at. This, we're stewards of our time. And we want to be the best stewards we can be with our time. I asked you earlier if you're a parent to raise your hand and many of you raise your hands I remember when I was a little kid and my dad would say, time goes so fast, I thought he was nuts. And he might be still, but he was right. Time goes really fast. That baby that you held is now graduating college or holding their baby. Time moves quick. And we need to be good stewards of the time that God's given us. We need to be good stewards of the time. And you might, listen, you might say, I don't have any more time. I'm, I'm not here to tell you. Yes, you do, you know, brush your teeth less time or something like that. I'm not here to tell you that. But I am, I am just suggesting we need to be as best the stewards of our time as we could possibly be. You know, when, um, when I, I was a, a youth pastor, but I was the assistant youth pastor, and I remember the first time it ever happened to me, it was a terrifying, chilling moment. It was 6.30 in the morning on a Sunday. I'm 19 and the youth pastor calls me, and he says, I'm sick, I need you to teach today. First service started at 7:45. Second service was at 9.30, and then the third would be at 11.15. Three services I'd have to teach. It was 6.30 in the morning, and I was the worship leader at the time for, the, for our group, and he said, I need you to teach. And, you know, I got off the phone, sweating and that, like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? There's not time. There's, like, not time. I still got to try to get ready to do the music. And now he wants me to teach. And I remember praying, Lord, I hate this guy. No, 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 I didn't say that. I just said, (laughs) Lord, you know, help me right now. And I'm pretty certain it wasn't a great message. I have no way, thankfully, to look back and see. But I do know this. God gave grace for that moment. Because here's the thing. God is the Lord of time, You give five minutes, he could make that count for 500 years. Just, oh, my time has passed. Maybe your time has, but God's time for you has not. Oh, it's too late for me, quitter. (laughs) And you're not a quitter. You are a child of God saved by the grace of God for eternal purposes. Oh, it's too late for me, it's not too late for you. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. You're not an animal. You're a human being made in the image of God for his purposes. Oh, they're too young, nonsense. They're too old, ridiculous. Oh, they're too set in their ways. Change those ways. Oh, I can't do it. Finally, now you're on the right track. But God can for you and for me. I gotta tell you, now being a senior pastor I can't wake up at 6.30 in the morning and say, okay, Lord, give me something. I got a few hours. No, because I'm, 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 I have to be a steward of the time God gives me, right? Now I have that time and I need to use that time well. Some of you moms, you are up so much at night. Dads, you're up so much at night with that little one. And, and, then, and then you hear somebody say, you need to have the morning devotions. And you're like, I want to kill that person right now what I need is coffee and then another cup and then a nap and then after the nap you know right do you know that do you remember those moments in your life where you're like you know oh you need to read your Bible more it's like I'm just trying to put on the same color socks and you want me to have a mind that is prepared but we want to be good stewards of the time that because the time and the season you're in today you may not be let me rephrase that you will not be forever And here's what happens though. We create bad habits sometimes in certain seasons of our lives and then we never change the habits when the season changes. Friends, we got to adjust to the seasons that God puts us into. Guess what this season is? This is a season where we reflect. This is a season where we're thankful for family and friends. This is a season where for many people, it's hard. So what is this season really? It's an opportunity for God's people to connect to the Lord. This this, this is what Christmas is really all about. It's about the fact that God chose to connect to you. And you and I have opportunity to connect to him. Make sure that you are being a steward of the time that God puts into your life. We all have the same. Don't you look at some, I mean, I, 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 I was watching a documentary, I think it was like on Netflix about Bill Gates, super depressing. Because that guy before I'm awake has done more. It's like, he's like, oh, I um, eradicated malaria, and it's 9 a.m., you know? <laughs> I mean, and there's you know, some people who, like, they had the same amount of time that I do, but my goodness, look at what's been accomplished. But you know how the Lord, I think, sees it for each one of us? When you say, Lord, I, I wanna be holy. I wanna be pure. I wanna give more of my life to you. The Lord just says, that's that's it. I can do that. I can work with you like that. Let me be a part of your life like that. The third thing that I want you to consider in our thanksgiving service is this. They gave of their resources. And the same rules apply that I said about time. I'm not here to tell you, you you should, how dare you not give or you should be. My my point is, is this, is we need to look at this from a biblical perspective and gain an understanding of how God sees our resources, our time, our energies, our very lives. It's one of the hardest disciplines in the entire Bible to adopt. I would say prayer and giving are the two hardest things in the world to do. Unless I see immediate results in my prayer time, it's hard to just keep going at that. And giving up what's mine is very difficult. These men, the wise men, brought gifts to give to Jesus. Verse 11, I'll read it to you again. When they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshiped him And they opened their treasures. They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's really important that you see that their giving was connected to their worship. And by worship, I don't mean that they sang songs. In fact, in this context, in the New Testament, the word for worship means to kiss the hand. To kiss the hand. It's just a term of like honor and respect, I'm gonna honor this child. Keep in mind, maybe one more myth I could have put on the screen, is that like Jesus was born and then they laid him in a manger and then at the same moment shepherds showed up and wise men showed up and everybody on the hallelujah chorus all at one moment. It didn't exactly happen like that. In fact, this could have been a year later. There was not this like immediacy that sometimes we think of when we think of the Christmas story. But what we do know is they came to Jesus. They offered worship to Jesus. Could you you imagine that? What a strange experience that would be for Mary and Joseph. How far did you travel? Far, the far east. Why? To see your child. This beautiful little baby is going to change the world. And, and I still believe that's true today with every one of our kids, not like Jesus, but I believe that's still true today. I mean, we were holding beautiful little Olivia and you're. And why do we love babies so much? I mean, they're new and sweet and cute and adorable and they represent potential. They represent potential. And when God became a man, the fullness of potential in this world was, became a reality. God came to save mankind And it started in a manger and it continued on a cross and it'll be finished one day when jesus returns the wise men came to jesus and they worshiped him they bowed down to him and in their worship listen in their worship they gave and they gave treasure gold frankincense myrrh giving in the bible is of the utmost importance because it is connected to our worship. Not about singing. You might have a beautiful voice, but God would connect more your givingness than your ability to sing to your worship life. Of course, it's easy. I read the story of the wise men, and I think if they were able to give gold and frankincense and myrrh, they were probably rich so they could afford it. It's one of the biggest myths about giving. I'll give when I can afford it. It's like children. You can never afford them. Have you ever had somebody tell you, like, oh, we're going to have kids once we get a little bit more, you know, like our lives get a little bit more stable, and you're thinking to yourself, good luck with that. Right? It's just the way it is. And, and sometimes we, ought, we feel that way. I felt this way. It's like, I want to be more generous. As soon as I'm more comfortable, I'll be more generous. But my generosity, when it's connected to my comfort, I'll never be a generous person. I just won't be. I can't be generous when it's connected to my comfort. Anybody in here besides me ever daydreamed of winning the lottery? I've talked to a couple of you about it, yeah. The rest of you are like, I don't think I'm, I don't know if I can say that in church. But You can, you have, and I, yeah. And if, have you noticed as Christians, anybody that's willing to admit, oh man, I daydream, about, the first thing we say is, oh, I'll give so much to the Lord. I'm going to give so much to God. What was that? There was not that long ago in the last year that lottery went like like stupid high. Hundreds of millions and all. And all you were thinking about it. And you're like, I will give so much to God because I could totally live off of 200 million. <laughs> no problem, right? And this is what we do. It's like we assume that if I were to be really doing well, then I'm going to totally do, you know, I'm going to take care of, I'm going, to, I'm going to hook God up with my money. That's not what God's interested in giving. God is not poor. He's fine. God is not poor. He's fine. It's easy to make assumptions, though. In fact, I wrote down a group of questions. You might not have thought these. I have. Things like this. I'm barely making it. How could God ask me to give? Isn't God already rich? Why does he need my money? And then here's the really hard one. Let's be honest. It's not God who's asking for my money. It's the church. Maybe the church is using God. Some of you are like, wow, those are cynical questions. I know. I could be that way sometimes. But I know so can others. And I think they're good questions. And we should be. Is, is the whole point of giving so that a church can get something? If it is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. If you haven't thought of these questions, you're probably a better person than I am, but you probably were already. But many people are. Many people are hurt by church that seems to want to take so much more than they've given to the person. That mindset has to change. The wise men honored Jesus with their gifts. It was not an obligation, it was an act of worship. This is something that needs to be clarified. It's an act of worship. I even had this thought like, do people really understand that, you know, this is not something that people, that pastors have been gathering for centuries and centuries together in a conference and said, let's convince people they should tithe still. No, this is a biblical idea. It's rooted in scripture. In fact, the idea of giving or tithing, as some of you, if you've been in church, you've heard that term. Tithe is a word that means tenth. It comes from the Old Testament when they would give 10% of what they had in their own life. We see that in the life of Abraham. We see it in the law that God called the Jewish nation to give one-tenth of all that they had to the temple. And then the priests were to establish and to use those for the purposes of the kingdom. One out of every ten. Somebody asked me, is that pre-tax or is that, you know... Good questions. So let me, let, me, let me do something kind of a, a, a zoomed out big picture of tithing because it's so important. Giving, call it whatever you want. You ready? God doesn't look at that as you giving him 10%. What he looks at it is this. The Bible says this. This is crazy. You ready? Everything is the Lord's. He gave you 100% and he wants 10%. It's kind of crazy. It's a different way of thinking about it. Because when you're at work and you finally get that paycheck and you're like, I don't know, I, don't, I mean, God didn't do that. I did that. God gave you the job. God gave you the oxygen. God gave you the capacity to do what you do. God gave you the mind for what you're doing. Everything is the Lord's. And then we give back to the Lord. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It'll be on the screen here. This I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Friends, we should should give to the Lord and be like laughing and not like laughing like, (laughs) you know, not that kind, but like the, you know, (laughs) I can't do it, you know. No, 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 it should be like, oh my gosh, God gave everything, I'm gonna give back. Should you be giving to the Lord? Absolutely. Me too. Should it be consistent? Yep. Somebody asked me this question. Am I supposed to give 10%? Okay. But what if I want to give more? Okay. 10% is a number used in the Old Testament and it continued on into the New Testament and it's a good basis by which to determine how to be giving to the Lord. What are the benefits to giving? Well, I'll tell you one of them. Freedom. Freedom is a big benefit. Let me explain what I mean by that. Freedom to no longer be in control of every part of my life. I'm stingy by nature. I don't know about you, but I am. Freedom to no longer think that what I did is mine. I'm free to say, I have to trust God with my life. You need to figure out what it is that you need you need to do in how you give, but I want to suggest something to you. It's freedom. It's absolute and utter freedom. Oh, but I make so little. I know. I don't know anybody that's making tons. I could have really used that, but I'm so glad to be free from that mindset. That's what God wants to do. He wants to give us a freedom to be able to say, hold on a second, it's all the Lord's. Everything I have, my time, my life, my, my kids, my spouse, the air that I'm breathing, God gave it to me. Everything is the Lord's, and I'm going to trust him with this. Oh, but what? I, I make minimum wage. You want me to give 10% of that? What's, what good is that going to do? I know a story that speaks to that. It's about five loaves of bread and two fish. What does that little amount do? Maybe change the world. But I know I have to give. It's not about what it's gonna change the world. I need to give because I need my world changed. Most of the time people talk about, have you noticed how quiet it got in this room? <laughs> You're like, speak to my head, touch my heart, leave my wallet alone. <laughs> it's, it's the way we all feel. I'm not putting you down, I'm saying this is how it hits us all like, Ugh. But I don't want anybody walking out of here like, oh man, that was condemning. First time at church and he wants my wallet. I don't want your wallet. I want you to recognize that you and I, we belong to God. And he calls us to be giving people. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Kingdom investment pays eternal dividends. Kingdom investment pays eternal dividends. But you'll see it in every part of your life. When you become a generous person, you'll see it in different parts of your life. You could be giving to God, and then God is shining deeper deeper connections in your relationships. In other words, you know, I think sometimes we have this idea, like if I give a hundred dollars, God's going to give me back a hundredfold in money. Sometimes a hundredfold might look very different. Friends, don't let your happiness be linked to your wallet. That's really what it comes down to. And I got to tell you, I need to hear it as much as I think we need to hear it. We need to be free from the bondage of what we think is ours. It's not ours. We belong to the Lord. In fact, I put a link and it'll be on, um, it's on our app. I put a link to an article that was in Forbes, Magazine uh, and on their on their online site. It was called why I tithe and so should you By a money manager. It's not a pastor. It's not a Christian It's a it's a it's a money manager who talked about why I tithe and so should you Very well worth reading that article. He mentions a couple things though And I'll mention them here and then I'll finish with this. He said when I first began tithing I thought it was crazy I worked so hard for every dollar dealing with unruly customers and picking up, <laughs> picking up spitballs under the table at a local Denny's. And then I gave 10% of that away. Even today, everyone in my peer group knows me as the cheap guy, though I prefer the term frugal. Back then, I was making $10 an hour, and I chose to tithe because in addition to being commanded, it felt like it was the right thing to do. I may have sacrificed things along the way, but I traded worldly things which are temporary for things I believe to be eternally lasting. I didn't succumb to my own selfish desires because I'd already learned a valuable lesson. Live without some things now and invest in that which will be forever. This is a money manager with, who was writing for Forbes. What I wanna, I wanna bring us back to this, I'm not worried about, you, you gotta figure out what God's called you to do. Here's what I know. This Thanksgiving, I have an opportunity to, be, to take The word of God again and say I'm gonna apply it into my life I'm gonna live I'm gonna go for it I have the opportunity to say Lord once again I want to be a good steward of the time you've given me and then finally Lord help me to be free from the burden of my own selfishness whatever that looks like in all of our lives it's pretty exciting to discover we get to figure it out with the Lord these men came and they brought those gifts and then we're told that they did something It says that they were a treasure and I don't think the treasure they gave the treasure of gold and frankincense and myrrh, but here's what happened. When they gave those investments, it would pay an eternal dividend. In fact, what's the dividend? Let's think about it. Right now, we're talking about their story still. These people gave. These people gave time. These people believed the word of God. Friends, you want to you have a lasting legacy into eternity? Believe the word of God. Trust God. He's worth living for. He's worth going after. And then we're told that God spoke to them not to go the same way that they had, you know, avoid Herod in essence. I wonder if I'm missing out at times in my life from the voice of God because I'm so busy trying to hold my stuff and my, my life, my things, me. I'm trying to hold so much that I'm just ignorant of what God might be trying to say in my life. Consider that. Maybe the releasing of of so much of in our lives will give us the capacity to hear God in a fresh way. I'm no longer being held. I don't want to be God in my life. I need God to be God. And I'm excited for the season that we get to have and we get to look at the Christmas connections and the work of God in our lives. But let it start with us believing in the Word of God, believing and trusting God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to begin this kind of season by considering thanksgiving, worship giving, the giving of my life back to you in in confidence. Me believing that you, God, you are trustworthy and you're worth believing. And I pray that you'd help each one of us, Lord, whether new believer, been a believer a long time, help us to take stock of our lives And to truly consider, how can I trust you in a greater way this year, this new year? And Lord, we also want to just take a moment and acknowledge something. You've been good. You've been faithful. And I thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. It's hard. And it's good. And sometimes it's wonderful. But I pray, Jesus, that each person that's here, those that'll watch or listen to this online, that they would experience that work of your Holy Spirit in their lives. That you're real. Not just something we do on a Sunday morning, but that you are real. And we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope and pray that the ministry of Calvary San Diego is strengthening and encouraging you in your faith. To follow along with what God is doing here at Calvary SD, we encourage you to download our app. Also, if you would like to invest in the ministry of Calvary San Diego, you can financially partner with us by visiting our website at calvarysd.com give. Thank you so much and have a great day.